comes. Here. And watch out! He's got Wow! Point, because it's a 6% slope, 50 feet. So right now it will gather speed. Good weight. A two footer. Oh my goodness. All the way. Oh, can you believe that? Welcome back to week nine of the Walk It In podcast. Mark and I are here to break down all things WGC concession as well as preview the 2021 Arnold Palmer Invitational. And after watching WGC this week, Mark, I wish I was Colin Morikawa in the sense that not only do I wish I had $2 million to my name now that I just won a big tournament. I wish I could do something to my golf game, like change my putter grip and see that big of a swing in performance the way Morikawa did from Riviera to concession this week because he crushed it. Yeah, it uh, it reminded me of kind of like an exorcism uh, of sorts and not that Morikawa's golf game needed one or anything. He was His putter like, did, though. His putter yeah. needed it. I think he had like a pair of T7s before the Genesis, um, which is the tournament you were referring to where he wasn't putting well. But um, the difference between the Genesis and the WGC this week was night and day. And and he earned the win for sure. He, I think he lost like eight, nine strokes at Riviera and then comes out and I mean, I didn't look at the specific putting stats, but there were a number of putts that I was watching on Sunday and thinking like, oh, this as a tester, 15 feet, 13 feet. I don't know if he's got it in him. And they were center cup every time. Like it was bang, bang, bang. He's never been like somebody you think of as, and you know, granted he's only been on tour for a little while now, but he's never been somebody you think of like the, a top putter on tour for sure. You know, he's missed a couple bunnies before in, in big tournaments and um, has always needed work, but this week he putted really well and you know, his, his iron game was awesome as always. And played, he played great. Yeah. And there was a, as you would expect for a WGC event, a $10 million purse, Victor Hovland, but the Horschel. I mean, we talked about this in our preview. It was the who's who of golf were showing up, but the top of the leaderboard with Hovland and Kepka and Reed and even Horschel, uh, it was, it was a very entertaining tournament. I um I mentioned in one of my picks, obviously I was on Mark Leishman, which we can get to later, but I mentioned or we can just not little, talk about. I mentioned in that little segment that he and Louis Ustazen are two guys that always seem to creep up uh bigger leaderboards and WGCs and majors. And here we are. I take Mark Leishman and he's you know middle of the pack, and Louis Ustazen finishes with a uh, a T6. So, you know, screw me, right? I thought that exact thing when I saw Louie, they even flashed to him on a Sunday. They showed a couple shots and you're like, okay, so Louie's in the mix, right? If you weren't, if you yeah. weren't watching Duh. the leaderboard, right. Louie's in the mix. And it's like, oh, Mark went the other way. He said both names. He picked Leishman. That's, that's too bad. That's too bad. But you know who else, you know, another South African that had a pretty good week. You can tell me Brandon Grace. I'm enjoying a little bit of Breckenridge whiskey as we record because I just wanted to savor the spoils of picking the outright winner, uh, giving myself three or four pats on the back here. But there's a legitimate question we have to ask now. Go ahead. Am I cursed? Well, that's a good question. I feel uh, <sighs> Tony Finau might say yes. Victor, Victor Hoblin would say, say no. no. He would. Um, but yeah, I mean, great pick by you. Obviously, uh, just to recap, we had our our first ever bourbon co-host bet. bourbon bet um, on the Puerto Rico Open. You had Brandon Grace, uh, I believe he was what, twenty to one, and mm-hmm. I had Cam Percy at forty-five to one. Both players t- uh, tied for third after round three. We were both looking great. I was like, man, I I should have put my bank account on this tournament instead of <laughs> the too, WGC. It's too bad neither guy made our official card for I the know. week, huh? Um, but uh, Grace got it done on Sunday. Percy ends up finishing T7, and you have a nice bottle of Breckenridge. So congrats to you. I do. Um, more, to, uh, more to come in terms of uh, co-host bourbon bets uh, yeah. later this season for sure. I feel like I need to just admit something. Like I'm very happy that that went the way it did. I mean, two things. First of all, Kudos to you for taking the longer shot and giving straight up odds. Like what, what a great competitor you are. You're just a, an honorable person. Yeah. And then my other thought was I 
will like hand up. I didn't watch a single shot of the Puerto Rico open this weekend. <laughs> Mark texts me, he's like, your dude won the tournament. Like he won the whole thing because I'm watching WGC. Cause that's where our card was. And we across the scorecard, all we had was WGC exposure. And there goes Brandon grace holing out from the bunker for Eagle. Like that's the shot I've seen over and over again, because I mean, more, it put him in the lead and then he went on to win, but I, yeah, listeners, you should tread lightly. If you weren't already tread lightly when it comes to, to my segment, when yeah. we get here for inside the leather and double breaker, because my first winner this year is Puerto Rico. And we all know what's happened to, I mean, again, Victor, he he's won. Tony, I don't, <laughs> and, I don't and everyone else. So Here's we'll the see. good thing. If I'm like Tony fee now, and I can rattle off top tens and top fives. I think that'll that'll look pretty good for the scorecard through the rest of the season. So maybe it's not a bad you, thing. As long as you bet on top fives and top tens. Sure. Because if you bet on the win and someone finishes top five, <sighs> that doesn't get you anything. That's true. It gives me absolutely nothing, which happened to us again this week. How did t- Tony Finau falls out of contention from WGC. And at different points throughout the weekend, it looked pretty good. Like, yeah, we're going to book this top five because both of us had exposure. Right. Finau's going to win. At worst, he's going to be second or third this week. It's just going to be rinse and repeat for Finau. And the next thing you know, he finishes T14. And you're like, <laughs> he triple bogey. He triple bogey yeah. two. What and the then hell goes happened? on a birdie tear. And you're like, dude, did you really have to open up your round with a triple on two? But this that's what this course did. I mean, you had guys like Victor and Morikawa who were just striping it all over the course. And then you had guys who, I mean, even Victor, God, he had a quad bogey on 18. Victor Hovland wins the tournament, right? Without without that snowman. Yeah, and technically, yes. Technically, he would have won. Um, you know, all things being equal, I guess. Because um, you don't know how he'll react and all that stuff. But, you know, Hovland, his 18th hole on round two, gets a snowman. to, And he still shoots a 69 in round two, which is yeah. insane. Um, shooting a 69 with a snowman. Um, but he, he lost by, you know, that's a, a plus four on one hole. He loses the tournament by three strokes. Hovland is full steam ahead this year. I'll have oh, more on him later. A, this a episode, freight but. train, a absolute freight train. And he's in the field this week. But before we get to this week, you, did you see, remember when we talked about this probably two weeks ago, we were talking about Ryder cups and, who was, you know, at different spots on the on the board in terms of qualifying based on points. We were talking about Hovland in like the 70s and we were in shock. Do you know how high he rose after this week? No, do you tell me. Up to 20th in the Euros, which is a 50 spot rise. It gets meteoric and I I doubt he's done rising. I would expect Hovland to probably be he might get one of the auto qualifiers. Top 4 for Euro yeah. points are auto qualifiers. You and I mentioned we don't know the uh, intricacies of the European Ryder Cup uh, yeah. points, but um, it's obviously would be um, a travesty and a mistake of epic proportions if Hopland's not on the European Ryder Cup team. I mean, he's going to get you a captain's pick. It just it's it's almost a. It, I'd put a lot on it that that Hovland ends up if he's not in the top four that get the auto picks it, that he's not selected to participate because the guy's a gamer. You and I were talking about other people on that list, and you had somebody that was kind of flying under the radar, right? Yeah. Well, for the Euros or for the Americans? Because I had one for, for both. The, for the Euros. Yeah. So Victor Perez is a guy who's in the field this week for the Arnold Palmer Invitational, and he's fifth right now. And I I think he played in the Masters back in November. Uh, French guy, very tall, can, I mean, absolutely lace uh, the golf ball, but fifth was surprising. I'm sure he's racked up a lot of points playing on the Euro tour, but that's one guy to look for. And then Matt Fitzpatrick, who's also in the field this week, he's seventh. Uh, and he's had a couple good showings since he's come over from the tour to play over here in the States. So yeah. Interesting guys. Uh, Fitzpatrick, I think play, he plays more on the PGA tour than Perez does. Obviously but yes. both of them are awesome golfers and, uh, they are, are in prime position for Ryder Cup spots for mm-hmm. sure. So, you know, everybody may be hearing more about both of them. Yeah. And as we get closer to that, I mean, there'll be, there will be no shortage. I'm sure we'll have, maybe we'll even do a couple preview episodes getting ready for the Ryder Cup in September. Um, but there'll be plenty of action to be had at the Ryder Cup. So best to get familiar with some of these guys who you may see um, in Wisconsin come, come September. So that's right. 
a lot of really cool stuff across the board, a fun weekend, uh, not only for the podcast in terms of booking the Brandon Grace win, which again, wasn't on the official scorecard. So like I, how many times should I really pat myself on the back for that? It's what did we, we talked about this earlier this year too. There was a guy who I talked about for one of the tournaments and then he goes out and I don't know if he won, but he did well in Mark. You were like, well, don't be a coward. Just bet him. Yeah. So That's right. there it was me. You should have just, coward. you should have just put all your money on Brandon Grace. I have a very delicious bottle of Breckenridge bourbon in front of me. I will be okay. I'll be okay. Yeah, that's worth it. It will keep sure. going. Um, but it was also an exciting week for our podcast. And for those of you who have been listening since the start of the season, we jump started this with the Century Tournament of Champions in January. Uh, but we're really excited to announce on the podcast, which we've announced on our social channels, that we've partnered with No Lane Up for content through August of this year, basically the rest of the PGA Tour season. Uh, and we're thrilled. We appreciate all the support from all of you who have listened to us for a while, been following our social channels. Uh, but also for those of you who may be finding this podcast for the first time, thanks to that partnership. Uh, we appreciate you giving this a listen. We hope you stick around. Uh, we will be breaking down every tournament this season. And we're really thrilled about being associated with a group of guys who love the game of golf and um, probably are better golfers than Mark and I, but certainly have a love for the game just like we do. Yeah, man. Uh, they are an epic sports brand, uh, golf brand, um, huge following, um, hilarious guys. Obviously, I'm sure everyone who's listening to us has uh, read and listened to and and heard uh, the No Laying Up guys, but they're just awesome group of guys. Um, we're excited, like Jeff said, to partner with them, uh, produce some content for their website um, and, and share some, uh, some stories and, uh, and things like that going forward the rest of the year. But, uh, thanks to, um, you guys who are listening and supporting us. Thanks to no laying up for, for giving us the opportunity. And, uh, we're excited to see where this goes for sure. Um, we're, uh, hopefully, uh, taking it to the moon. That's right. And the, uh, the piece I was going to add too is on the website, you'll see this, We'll, we'll write down all of our write out all of our picks and the reasoning behind those posted to the website. Uh, and the no lane up guys are doing some of the picks of their own each week for the tournament. So there'll be plenty of gambling golf content for you to follow. Uh, but those guys, uh, not only on their own social media channels and their website, ton of awesome golf content, way to get to know the game, the game in your local areas too. They've got a lot of really cool stuff, but we're excited to be partnering with them on the gambling side. Um, and related to gambling news, to kind of pivot here before we get to the Bay Hill and the Arnold Palmer Invitational, the AWS, so Amazon Web Services and the PGA announced a really big partnership this week. I will keep this brief, but because we are a golf gambling podcast, it's important to mention this. We've talked a lot about our app woes. Um, I think I had them again this weekend. If I didn't, I'm shocked. I'm, I'm almost certain I had golf golf Definitely. app woes this weekend. Um, and and I was making the trek back from Florida to the Midwest. So I'm sitting back in cold weather now and trying to follow picks as I'm, you know, stopped here, getting gas there. And I don't remember all the different opportunities. Where I was like, well, who knows if this is working or not? Cause I can't follow it anywhere else. I just have to trust the app being correct, which is a problem in of itself. But AWS's partnership will give the PGA more options and opportunities to showcase all the shots from all the players in a tournament. That's sort of the headline coming out of this. Similar to what we saw for the Masters, where each player had each shot was shown on video through the web page on, I think, the Masters website. This will allow them to do that. Now, they still need the infrastructure. They still need the cameras. They still need all of the things that you need on the course to make it happen. But this is a very positive step. And again, one of those situations where like, if you're going to go all in PGA, which you certainly seem like you are, these things have to be in place for the players, for the gamblers, for everybody, so that people can follow those top 20s or those matchup bets that no, they're not winning the tournament, but their positioning still matters. Right. The, the gambling aspect of golf is growing immensely week by week. And you saw it with the, um, the bet cast on NBC um, last month. And you've got um, different content coming out on different websites and different um, platforms that are centered around gambling. And now this AWS partnership is hopefully going to take it to another level. But mm -hmm. like Jeff said, when you're betting on top tens and top twenties and matchups, and you're going to want to know 
you know, shot by shot, what, what each player you're invested in is doing. And hopefully this helps. Yes. It's a lot like on the app when you see, oh, he hit it 280 yards to unknown, or all of a sudden his shot tracker moved from the middle of the fairway to, oh, wait, maybe he's in the water. Like, no, no, I want to see the video. Show me where the ball landed. And then let's move past that without me having to make guesses. So I'm excited. And I think Mark made a great point. The whole idea that you're going to go in on this NBC Peacock streaming gambling channel is awesome, but still continue to give ways for people who have placements or matchups or anything across the entire card throughout the entire tournament ways to follow that action. That's the Holy grail for the PGA. And I like that this announcement gets them on the right track. So yeah, let's hope. All right. Well, I think that wraps up the, the news around the world of golf and also around the walk it in pod news. Uh, so like we said, super excited. We've got a great tournament this weekend, still in Florida, uh, just moving over to Orlando from Tampa for a tournament that's been around for a really long time. Uh, we have an elevated event this week at Bay Hill for the Arnold Palmer Invitational, basically meaning that there's three years of status up for grabs for the winner basically PGA tour status, the ability for you to play tournaments you want to play instead of having to qualify for each one. But there's also an open qualifier for the top three on the leaderboard that don't already have their ticket in to the open this year. We didn't have an open last year. We're excited to have it back this year. There's a lot uh, on the line as well as a pretty big purse again. And we've also, we've seen some non us guys have a lot of success at this course. Yeah. Uh, last year you had uh, Terrell Hatton, um, Frankie Molinari before that, uh, Rory, Mark Leishman, Jason Day. So a lot of international flavor uh, for sure. Um, maybe that has to do with uh, the wind and yep. you know the weather in Europe, a little bit windier than America for the most part. Um, conditions play a little bit differently. So um, you know it could be a situation where you're looking to favor Europeans and mm -hmm. other international players to play well in the wind and, and more difficult courses. Well, so many is too. I was thinking about this because I agree with you on the weather piece, but like the concession was in Florida and I know the concession was the first tournament um, that had that, sorry, first PGA tournament that the concession has ho had hosted. But I was trying to think to myself, like Orlando, like is wind typically a problem. I, I also wonder, you got guys like Ian Poulter who live in Orlando. It feels like for the, for the English guys, their PGA home, so to speak, is probably Florida. I feel like that's where yeah. most of the guys live. Yeah, definitely. So, so they're, I mean, they're used to it. But at the same time, once it comes time for the tournaments to be played, you see scores like, you know, Terrell Hatton winning at four under last year. Well, last he, year, the wind was crazy. But, you know, you the way you'd think if with players living in Orlando and in Florida in general, they could handle crazy wind regardless. Yeah. But only four players were under par last year. And you look at the WGC uh, this past week and, you know, you had a winner at 18 under par. So is you know, stark difference in leaderboards, um, you know, Bay Hill seems like it's uh, sets up very similar to the concession, um, you know, real long course, um, you know, kind of uh, open fairways, forgiving fairways and, a little bit thicker rough and fast Bermuda green. So you'd think the courses are the same. Um, and then, you know, next thing you know, a course that the players have never played on, you've got a winner at 18 under at uh, concession last week. So I right. guess we'll see what happens at Bay Hill. Yeah. These guys are just, are just so good. And a lot of what Morikawa and Hovland did last week to rip concession to shreds was they just struck the ball so pure uh, into the greens and gave themselves a lot more inside the leather picks than they did uh, double breakers on the undulation that we, that we saw. So it, it was, it was really fun. And I think you're right about some of the corollaries. Um, and I think you gotta, you gotta look at the weather this week. Like you, you need to take a peek. Um, I think Thursday, Friday look relatively mild from a wind and weather perspective, nothing of note. So if you play DraftKings or FanDuel or any of those lineups, Probably not so important because I, I don't think there will be a ton of cut impact, but on the weekend, it certainly looks like it's going to take a turn. We're looking at some pretty significant wins on Saturday and Sunday with gusts uh, up into the upper twenties, maybe 30 miles per hour and rain on Saturday. So it, it could play a little bit messy. Um, 
So I think that's something to take into consideration when looking at like win bets, top tens, top twenties, et cetera. Maybe less so if you're trying to build a lineup on some of those sites, but that's not not necessarily our forte. Uh, so we'll we'll skip most of that. But I I think you should think about that as you take a look at where you think guys might finish this weekend. Let me ask you: Do you think this week's winner will be closer to the four under that Terrell Hatton was last year, or closer to the eighteen under that Morikawa was last week in Florida? I'm gonna say the winner is gonna end up at like. Mm, that's a great question. I'm going to say, I, I'm going to call it right now. The winner ends this week at eight under par. So right. I'm going to say closer to Terrell Hatton. I, I think the weather on Saturday and Sunday is going to make for uh, some rough rounds for guys. So, I mean, if the weather shifts, which it very well could, we're recording this on Tuesday evening. Um, but I still think there's enough water. This course will, this course has some teeth. Uh, I don't care how many times guys have seen it. Like you still got to put the ball in the right spot. Sure. So, course, course history is important though, right? I agree. I agree. In most cases, I think most weeks I look at course history and I think I looked at it a little bit this week, but maybe less so than some of the other like strokes gain stats that we typically touch on when we're breaking down where guys what, are going to end up. What are some of those stats you're looking at this week in your approach? I, you talked about some of the comparisons between concession and, uh, in Bay Hill where we are right now. And I think the par fours, averaging out to 430 this week that's exactly what they were at concession last week again meaning opportunities to play some of those shorter irons but you're not gonna probably have wedges into all of them and then the par fives average out to very manageable about 560 yards meaning you can play some long irons um and maybe a a three wood or something into some of these par threes. So I, I was very curious to look at guys who play well from a longer approach shots, like guys like Will Zalatoris. If you remember that shot he had at Torrey Pines on 18, where he just flushed a three wood, fed for it sure. to like three feet for Eagle. Those guys interest me. Um, but the other thing I don't care about this week, and we typically don't care much about it. And I think Colin Morikawa was the perfect example of this putting. I don't care much about putting in this tournament historically shows that putting stats are even less important here than they would be for regular PGA tour events. And if Morikawa can lose nine strokes to the field one week and can come back out and do what he did at concession and putt above average, then I, I think I can pretty much write off putting stats for this week. I see. I disagree with you a little bit. I think putting will matter. I think the approach shots going to matter more mm-hmm. um, and putting yourself in the right spots, but the greens, so, you know, fast Bermuda greens, just like last week. And I read that they're going to be between a 12 and a half and a 13 on the stint meter. So mm-hmm. uh, science says that's really quick, right? Science. Um, does. Okay. Science says that. Yes, I agree yeah. with you, but I think fast greens to me, if you watch how practice rounds and all that, right? Like you can get a feel for the greens in your first practice round and then probably by nine holes into your first day on Thursday, you're going to be the, the speed's going to come down. It's when there's undulation where you're like, uh, does this break left? Does this break right? Does it not break at all that this course has less of that. So that's why I think putting doesn't matter. It's more flat. Sure. No, I hear you. I, uh, I'm going to look at putting obviously a little bit more than you, but I also want to look at um, approaches. I want to look yes. at long approaches, you know, who, who plays those long par fours better. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, the par fives seem to be the scorable holes. Yes. Um, oh, for sure. So, I, you know, maybe, uh, you know, maybe this year, everyone and, and most recently just everyone on tour with how long they are, they can score on most par fives, but, if you're going, if you can take advantage of those holes, uh, especially when they're deemed to be more yes. scorable, then you're going to be putting yourself in, in position, especially if, you know, the winner is, you know, in the single digits, something like that. You're going to have to score well on those, you know, 16 par fives or what have you. Yeah. Well, and I think that's one piece I, met, I missed in, in my approach as well is, is the, off the tee game and finding guys who might be a little bit longer so that they can take a five iron into a par five, you know, give themselves 210, 220. I wish I hit a five iron that long. I bet you they hit five irons longer than that, even. I think I don't even, I don't know what a stock five iron is in the PGA anymore, but um, I'm sure most of these guys will will be attacking flags. Sung JM will attack flags. I know that. 
Sung JM doesn't see a flag. He doesn't want to attack. For sure. The uh, It's funny. Um, I was looking at the par five scoring this year mm-hmm. and I get with, with most statistics on tour, you're going to see some outliers or at least what you think are outliers. But in terms of par five scoring, obviously you've got, you know, long players like Cameron Smith and Bryson DeChambeau and, you know, uh, John Rahm, but like, mm-hmm. Max Homa, Ryan Palmer, Sergio, uh, Justin Sue, mm-hmm. uh, you know, um, Hank Lebiota, you know, Matt Wallace, like wow. some of these players. How deep like are you, you digging for these names? Like, are the top five, uh, top par five scores on tour? Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I think it's super important. Now, some of those guys must play the par fours and the par threes really poorly because mm-hmm. you don't see them on some of the leaderboards, but. If you can um, make up strokes on some of these holes with eagles and birdies, then you're going to put yourself in contention more often than not. Yeah. You know, you mentioned Rom. Just for a quick aside, watching him this weekend, like I, whoever's in his camp, how, how has that guy not figured out a way to like Zen, uh, to find Zen on the course? It's he, hard, man. It's harder I, than you think. Trust me, I get mad on the course. I'm not saying I'm perfect. I, I, I shouldn't like, cast stones uh living in a glass house but i kind of feel like rom was so much talent dude like just figure out a way to to whatever you i don't know what you got to do just he's so talented he just plays himself out of rounds i just watched him this weekend it was like dude you okay you had a bad drive like you're probably still going to figure out a way to put your approach shot to 25 feet like well just like uh i forget exactly what hole it was but patrick reed Duffs that three yeah. wood, yeah, yeah, uh, and still makes birdie mm-hmm. on that par five, and like that's that's like kind of what you're talking about. I think is like it's exactly what I'm talking about. Recovering from bad shots and bad moments to still show that you are the class that you are, and Patrick yes. Reed does that a lot. Um, yeah, sc- you know, scrambling and making up for a couple errant shots here and there, just because that's who he is. He's one of the best in the world, and and Rom. Probably just needs to do that a little bit more. What I want to see Rom do, because one of our buddies sent this in uh, one of our like Instagram chats, the guy trying to throw a golf ball left-handed, like a right-handed golf trying to throw a golf ball, do that, Rom. Like reach in your bag, grab a golf ball, put it in your left hand and just try to chuck it. And like, you'll look so ridiculous that you'll laugh at yourself. That's what yeah. you need. There's my there's my diagnosis. John Rom, there's your ticket to success to start throwing golf balls left-handed when you're mad. When Jeff was in middle school and he was the lead in West Side Story, he pictured the audience in their underwear. <laughs> That's right. That's the only way I could get through my lines. <laughs> That's exactly it. That's exactly it. Remember that why old don't we, Why don't we give the people some picks this week? That's great. That's great. Let's get them off the idea of me and West Side Story, which is not true for the record, and <laughs> on to why we do this podcast, which is to find winners and the best reads. Uh, so we're flipping it this week. Typically the person with the worst record, I'm sorry, the best record gets the T right. But we're the walking in pod. It's all about what happens around the green. So the person who's out further away from the hole based on last week's performance is going to go first. Mark and I actually tied last week uh, in terms of units. So I, because I lost the previous week, will go first. I'm away this week. So for my first inside the leather pick, I'm going to take well, let me let me break down Paul Casey quick. I'm going to take Paul Casey at a top 10. That's coming in at plus 225 for a unit. And the big thing for me with Paul Casey is his form. Four straight top 15s. Uh, he's got two of those on the PGA Tour at Amex and AT&T, and then two at the European Tour. Uh, he won in Dubai and then had a top 12, or sorry, a tied 12 at Saudi. He does not have recent form, so to speak, at Bay Hill. He's played here before, but hasn't in the last four years, Uh, but his iron play and his overall game is top notch right now. He's ninth in the field in approach over the last 36 rounds. He's eighth in the field in total T to green. I really like that. He's positive in all of his categories, putting and chipping. If anything goes awry, his ability to get up and down and save par will be important. But I think the one thing, Paul Casey, an older guy who maybe isn't thought of in this category he has one of the best combinations of distance off the tee and accuracy off the tee. 53rd uh, in driving accuracy. And his distance, I believe, is in the top 40, top 30. 
the idea that a guy like that can find some success here, even though he hasn't played in a while and, and he's had a middling success back in the mid two thousands and in the, you know, 2010, 2015 run. But I, I think Paul Casey's game is in a great spot. I don't know what it is about this chapter of his game being in his forties, but I think he has really solid form. And I think he contends this week. I will take a little bit of a lower, um, lower risk and I'll take the top 10 on him. Okay. I, um, my first inside the leather pick is going to be a matchup and I'm still all over Victor Hovland. He's just like my guy, Joaquin Neiman Hovland is quickly becoming one of my favorites to back on tour. Um, all the guy does is compete, um, T2 last, uh, last week. He, um, probably would have won without that snowman, obviously. Um, and, uh, in his last five PGA tour starts, he's got a win. T31, T2, T5, and then last week's T2. So, you know, he's in top form. Last 16 rounds, he is, uh, uh, in terms of the players in the field, he's first in strokes gained T to green, third in approach. And I think that Bryson DeChambeau is actually kind of going the opposite way. So, um, DeChambeau finished, I believe, 22nd last week. Yep. He had that awful first round before a big uh, bounce back. He set the course record. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy, right? He set the course record. Uh, But then right back uh, around three, he shoots even par and kind of regresses a little bit. And that speaks to how good players are when, you know, you're even par, you're regressing. But, um, you know, he goes right back. He he shoots the the course record and then third and fourth round kind of fades again. So I just think he's kind of going in an opposite direction than Hovland is going. Uh, he's still kind of uh, playing around with some things. And I don't think he's just, he, I don't think he could just bully courses that he wants to bully at least right now. Um, yep. So uh, for that reason, uh, I'm going to take the form and, and the class that, that uh, Hovland's got, and I'm going to take him at uh, minus 112 over DeChambeau for a unit. Yeah. I thought similarly about DeChambeau. It was so weird. It was right. Like a Jekyll and Hyde weekend for him. But I think the thing about Hovland is exact opposite of Rom. Like Hovland just kind of seems to roll with the punches, right? Like he drops the quad. And then I think they said something like he was nine under through his next 15 holes or something. Obviously, it was the next day, right? But still, he just he handles his emotions really well. He is sad. He and Morikawa both are so savvy beyond their years. Like Morikawa's interview, we were like, dang, that dude gets it. He uh, I mean, he had the like you said. He, after that finishing snowman, he ends up round three and goes, uh, I believe, 31 on the front nine. It was 32, maybe something uh-huh. like that. And it's just like, okay, I guess Hofland has erased that snowman from his memory. Yes, exactly. Smart. I mean, smart player, too. You saw him running through the different clubs in his bag on that chip he had to make. I forget the hole, but he was up against some of the longer, I mean, he was almost out of play. He was, you know, pulled out three wood, pulled the pitching wedge, went with an eight iron, and it was just a, a thing of beauty. Ran it right up next to the hole. So, I like that. I, I think there's a lot to like about Hovland this week. The only reason Hovland's not on my card in any particular spot is I just think it's too short. I mean, I really firmly believe Hovland can win this weekend. I think he can place all over the map. I'm sorry, like towards the top, right, top ten, top five, etc. I don't think he'll be outside of that. But it's just the odds are. I don't think there's a ton of value he, there. Odds but, are catching up to him. Totally. Totally are. Um, a guy whose odds for me went in a different direction that I was very surprised to see this. Max Homa this weekend, top 20. Your boy. My no boy, laying up, boy. Our boy. All yeah. of our boys. Everybody's boy. If you like golf, Max Homa is your boy. Um, I mean, he's, he's, he's awesome, right? We've said it many times on this podcast before, but top 20 for plus 225 surprised me. So I'm going to put a unit on that. And the, Reason here is his form has been good. And I know that last year he had a really good run of form through California. He's from Cali and then it kind of faded into Florida. But in listening to his podcast, hearing him talk about what he did this offseason and the performance he had this past week with the T22 at concession, I don't think he's out of his element in Florida either. I don't think he was that sharp this past weekend, but he still placed T22. Um, and he was 24th last year. Like, yeah, sure, it wasn't anything spectacular, but he wasn't far out of placing where I have him. And I think at plus 225, it's a lot of value for a guy who's been very solid on approach, very solid tee to green, 
not fantastic on approach outside of 200 yards, but you mentioned him as a par five scorer. Um, and I just, I really like where Homa's game is. And if you're going to give me greater than two to one odds on this, I feel like it's a pretty solid bet. I think the last time we had this situation, you said something about a guy who like, you're going to give me these odds. I'm going to take it. And then sure enough, the bet didn't hit. So nothing's a, a given, but I think Homa's got a good shot at that. Yeah. I like it. Um, uh, somebody you mentioned value, um, that I want a piece of this week is Frankie Molinari. Um, people probably lastly remember the topped drive at the Genesis a I couple sure weeks do. ago. I sure do. Uh, I know you were on Molinari when that happened. So, uh, sorry for bringing that up, but, uh, he's plus 275 for a top 10. Um, He's played Bay Hill seven times, made the cut all seven times. He's got four top tens. He won it two years ago in 2019. Um, in his last 16 rounds, I always go back to that in terms of recent form. Uh, 13th in uh, strokes gained tee to green, 20th in approach, 11th around the green. Um, just the way Molinari is playing, his history at Bay Hill, uh, I think he's. I think he's one to – uh, compete this week and, and I'm high on him, uh, big time at Bay Hill. So, uh, top 10, uh, for, uh, plus 275 for a unit. Nice. My, my last one for inside the leather. Um, and again, just so everyone is aware, we will preview a few picks. We really like this week after getting into the numbers. And then when we post to the no lane up website and across our social channels, you'll see the rest of our picks. Um, we're usually somewhere in the neighborhood of like eight to 10, maybe 11 units per tournament. Uh, so this isn't everything. This is just the things we think are worth discussing. Maybe some things we both feel differently on. Um, but one that I was very surprised in the same realm of home, getting greater than two to one odds on it was a USA winner. So no to the idea that there's a USA winner, which the last five have been international. We haven't had a U.S. winner since Matt Every and Tiger Woods, who've both won multiple times. Uh, Matt Every is in the field this week, so I, I guess I should I should be a little worried. Um, but I'm taking no on the USA winner at plus 188 for a unit. I just, based on everything that's happened at this tournament in the past and the weather that we're expecting this weekend, I think we're going to see a Euro end up winning it. So you're going to give me greater than even money. I'm going to take it. So I got a unit at plus 188 on no to a USA winner. So I... As you know, I don't know if you are the prop king. Know, I am. Um, I'm vacationing right now in the Bahamas in Atlantis, and I was at the casino last night playing roulette. And it's funny that you brought up that prop because I saw on the roulette table that Black had come up five times in a row. And oh. I, said, <laughs> I said, you know what? We're gonna keep going. It's gonna be Black again. I know it. So I put X amount of shekels down on black to hit I know a how sixth this book time ends. in a row. And you know what it was? It was red. Okay. Thank you for the lesson in gambling at the casino. But I really, <laughs> when you look at the odds for this tournament, who's the top two guys, Rory and Hovland, right? Who are guys who are coming in with excellent form? We already talked about one of the guys, which is Paul Casey, also a Euro, Terrell Hatton, Matthew Fitzpatrick, Sung J M. If you go in order of the odds here, the right. best uh, American it's, it's odds. A, it's a European flavor for sure. Yes. Bryson's the best American odds at 11 to 1. Then Pat Reed at 16 to 1. And we already know we're fading Bryson this week. Yes, exactly. Which I don't mind the Patrick Reed pick. I could totally see Patrick Reed winning this tournament. But then you've got a bunch of internationals. You got Hideki. You got Sung J. You got Molinari. Usti. Like, I just don't. Could Sam Burns win this tournament? Very much so. Could Jordan Spieth? I don't believe he can. Billy Horschel? Maybe. But I just don't think it's possible. I hear you on what the roulette table says. Different game, Mark. Different game. Oh, I know. I know. I'm just teasing you. With the the value on that prop, I actually I like that a lot. And it's something that I'm considering. I haven't added it to my card yet, but I might hop on with you uh, before Wednesday afternoon. Maybe Vegas knows. Maybe we'll Vegas see. knows. We'll find we'll out. We'll see. My last inside the leather pick uh, for right now, and you know, like Jeff said, we'll we'll publish some more um, on No Laying Up's website and and our own websites as well. But uh, my last uh, inside the leather pick is going to be Lanto Griffin. Mm. Uh, he he is going to finish inside the top twenty, and we're going to get plus two seventy five on that. 
Uh, Lanto Griffin, kind of an unknown. He was T22 last week and in his last three events. Uh, he's also got a T7 and a T26. Um, he gained strokes on last week's field, T to green and approach in all four rounds. Um, lost a little bit with his putter, but he's generally a very good putter. So I'm hoping that um, he kind of comes back to his his norm there with the putter. Um, ninth, ninth in the field in strokes gained approach, 16th in strokes gained putting over his last 16 rounds. So if Lanto can get his putter back um, from last week, I think he's going to have a very good week. And uh, top 20 at almost three to one is something I want a part of for sure. And uh, he'll be in some of my daily fantasy lineups too. I like that too. I didn't, Lanto did not cross my mind and looking at everything, but the only number that jumps out to him that's bad is around the green. And I don't think that's going to be a huge, huge thing to worry about this weekend. So as long as he hits the greens or, well, that's the whole thing, right? Yeah. Find yourself on the putting surface and then you don't have to pull out your wedge. We'll see. He's, I mean, he's a good putter. He just didn't putt very well last week. So I'm, I'm just, I'm hoping it was just an off week and, yeah. and he can get back to that. If he gives, if he finds himself the Colin Morikawa, um, secret stuff, you know, Bugs Bunny secret stuff. I think Lanto Griffin's in a great spot. So that's right. All right. Well, let's pivot then to double breaker. Uh, again, this segment is meant to be a little bit more the long shots, things at like three to one, um, or greater odds is kind of where you'll find the majority of the double breaker picks and, things that we think have even more value, but maybe a little less exposure uh, in terms of units. And again, I'm away. So I will try to give you the best read I can here on this bomb from across the green. And I'll, I'll start out with a bomb. I'll start out with Matthew Neesmith uh, at a top 20, four and a half to one for a unit. And I'm also going to play a quarter of a unit on a hundred to one to win. So yes, this is a bomb of a putt. But Matthew Neesmith interests me for a few reasons, and I'll tell you a little bit of what I saw from Neesmith lately and why. North Carolina I think, graduate. Wow, go Gamecocks. People didn't, forget. Didn't even realize. Thank you for sharing his. Uh, if you can't put the pieces together, two plus two equals four. Mark went to South Carolina. So, go Cox. That's right. Um, so, Neesmith, very quickly, three straight top 20s. Took last week off, but he did play well at the Genesis. He has appeared here before. He missed the cut on the number. Thank you, Rob Bolton of PGA, for bringing this to my attention. He missed the cut on the number last year with the bogey on the 36th hole. If he doesn't if he doesn't miss that putt or whatever it was, he's playing through the weekend, probably placing in a decent spot. The biggest thing for me with Neesmith is his approach. Fourth in the field in approach over the last 36 rounds, he's 11th tee to green. And I really like his number, T52 in the PGA Tour. Uh, on approaches greater than 200 yards in 2021 has an accurate driver still gains, especially in this particular field, uh, 31st in strokes gained off the tee. There's just a lot to like. And I feel like this is a situation where Matt Neesmith is not a household name. And I think that's what the value is showing. Um, my exposure on his win is a quarter of a unit 0.25. I just want to see, but I feel pretty good about this top 20. I wish I could do an each way bet. Can't do that in DraftKings. Um, but I will gladly put a unit and a quarter uh, on his top 20 and then the, that quarter unit on his win. You mentioned this next player uh, briefly just based on where he lives, but my first double breaker pick is going to be Ian Poulter. Oh, ooh, a little 20. home game. Home game for Poulter. Um, lives in the Orlando area. Um, he is currently plus 350 on DraftKings to finish in the top 20. Um, Ian Poulter's made 10 consecutive cuts at Bay Hill. Six of those have been top 25s. Um, so, you know, he knows the course, obviously he is one of those euros who I think plays really well in the wind and, um, not that it'll be, uh, poor conditions out there, but, um, he's somebody who can excel in weather like that. Um, had a T 18 in Saudi Arabia. Uh, didn't play as well in Puerto Rico last week, I believe finished T35, but that's okay. Uh, he was just getting his sea legs back under him after uh, uh, not playing for a little bit. And I think coming to uh, a course he's very comfortable with and a place he lives at um, for him to finish, you know, top, top 20, I think is a great value there. So um, one unit uh, on a poultry top 20. Love it. 
My other pick in double breaker is Corey Connors top 20 uh, at plus 335 for a half unit. And this guy fits a mold of a few other players I've already mentioned, probably similar to Paul Casey. And the sense that Connors off the tee is very accurate, also a little sneaky long, um, but his form is solid. I know he's been cut here twice. He's only had two appearances, uh, but he's had five top 20s in his last eight tournaments. I think this guy from a pure iron striking perspective very, very strong. I know he's 24th in the field here. Um, but generally when you, when you talk about Corey Connors, you talk about his iron play. And I think this week is a good opportunity for him. He plays well on approaches greater than 200 yards, which again matters to me because I want to find guys who are going to be able to attack those par fives and find scoring opportunities. So this is one of those plays where I just think Connors is being slept on a little bit. It's not without risk. I'm going to put a half unit on this compared to some of my other plays in the double breaker segment. Uh, don't feel as strongly about Connors as I do Matt Neesmith, but um, this just feels like one of those situations where Connors is going to come out. I bet you he'll put together a sleepy. I'm going to, I'm going to say it right now. Corey Connors, T16 this week. He's going to, he's going to, he's going to make me sweat it. I'm going to sweat it a few <laughs> times, but Connors T16, I'm just going to put a number on it. You love Corey Connors. I do. Favorite Canadian. Um, oh, Canada. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody who might have uh, seemed like he faded down the stretch um, at the Genesis is um, Sam Burns. Uh, Sam Burns finished third at the Genesis um, with a uh, kind of pedestrian weekend. But I'm going to go back to him this week um, for a... Uh, Top 10. Uh, that's a four and a half to one. I'm going to put a unit on it. Um, he's in pretty good form. His last four events, T18, T22, T39 at Pebble Beach, and then the third at Genesis. Um, his approach game is very solid. He is currently uh, 19th in the field in strokes gained approach. He is uh, an even better putter. He ranks third in the field over his last 16 rounds in strokes gained putting. Uh, so I'm hoping that uh, he just continues his solid season and uh, gets me up uh, up in the top 10. He's got the pedigree for it. He's playing really well and at four and a half to one. Um, you know, we'll see what happens there. But uh, I love Sam Burns. Let's go. Jam-packed card this weekend. Speaking of, this didn't make my picks yet, but who would you take? I think I know based on what you've already talked about, but Hatton versus McElroy in a matchup, who would you take? Well, I, so I'm Roy McElroy might be my favorite golfer. He's one of them anyway, but yeah. the way Terrell Hatton's playing, um, and you'll see when, when you check no laying up and, and our social channels and everything, I, I'm on Terrell Hatton a little bit this week as well. Um, I just think Hatton's experience at Bay Hill um, the way he's playing, he actually played a lot better than he uh, finished on the leaderboard, I think. Probably, at, yeah. Um, at um, the concession. Mm -hmm. But uh, I think Hatton over McElroy would be uh, something I would lean towards this week for sure. He's plus 130, which like it just feels Hatton like a ton is. of value. Yeah, Hatton's plus 130. Um, and McElroy played well last week, but just... I mean, he wasn't really ever in contention, right? Like he rose and I think he ended up T5. He finished T6. I mean, T6. Okay. He would, okay. I think he, he had that good third round. He played. So Rory, the, the reason I may be a little bit hesitant to play uh, against Rory in a matchup is just because of how poorly he putt a little bit last yeah. week um, because he was doing everything else phenomenally and then kind of improved his putting as the week went on. So um, I'm not sure where he is, you know, how he feels about his putting game in general, but the way I he, I think I saw, well, on that note real quick with putting, I think I saw a stat that he missed like four putts between three and seven feet, which is not quite in like the first in the first round alone. I think it was. Yeah. Was that what it was? Cause it was something yeah. ridiculous where you're like, dude, Come right. on, man. You're one but, of the best and in then, the world. And then ends up finishing T6. Like he yeah, overcame all that. His approach game and his off the T game was so strong. I mean, his off the T is elite. That it didn't matter. Um, yeah. And uh, guys, like, guys like that, I'm going to be hesitant to go against for sure. I agree. It, it feels like one where they're kind of baiting you into it. Just given the love that Hatton's going to get this week. And Hatton can still perform well 
and so can McElroy. It's just an interesting one that I was that I was curious your take on because there's some interesting va- value this week across the board. And I'll yeah. I'll just quickly recap what we've got. Unless you have any other thoughts you want to share. No, I'm I'm good. I feel really good about our card, and we're gonna have some more some more plays published. Uh, uh, like we said, uh, so make sure you guys check that out by yep. uh, you know midday Wednesday. Yep. And then, so for Inside the Leather, I'll recap this very quickly. Uh, again, I'm away this week, so I'll take Paul Casey top 10 plus 225 for a unit. Max Homa top 20 plus 225 for a unit. And then I'm going no on a USA winner at plus 188 for a unit. Mark checking in for Inside the Leather with Hovland over to Shambo at minus 112 for a unit. Molinari top 10 plus 275 for a unit. And then Lanto Griffin top 20 at plus 275 for a unit. That is our current card for Inside Leather, our current card for Double Breaker. I'm going with a long, long shot on Matthew Neesmith to win at 100 to 1 for 0.25 units. And I will also be taking a top 20 on him at plus 450 for a unit. And then Corey Connors, as Mark said, my favorite Canadian, uh, top 20 plus 335 for half a unit. And then Mark checks in with an Englishman of his own, Ian Poulter, top 20 plus 350 for a unit. And then Sam Burns top 10 plus 450 for unit. So we're we got some let's see we got some Italian flavor this week. We've got some English flavor this week. We've got some US flavor. Yeah. I've, we're all over the place. We don't discriminate. That's Although, right. You don't think a US guy is going to win. I but, am discriminating in that in that perspective, yes sir. But some Americans might do well like your home totally. top 20. Totally. I just think when you look at the odds, you're going to be plus 188 and then I look at the top of the odds you're giving me and it's very heavy international so it's a fun week this leads into the players next week which we will be back for and it will be star studded uh expect all the big names at the players next week um but check in this weekend on the picks we look forward to an awesome tournament uh in orlando for the arnold palmer invitational and we will see you next week for the 10th episode of the walk it in podcast for the players championship hope everyone has a great week thanks everybody